Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Hi, I'm Burl Bearer. Congratulations. <laughs> this is True Crime Uncensored, America's premier true crime podcast. 14 years we've been doing it. In March, it'll be the beginning of our 15th year. What? And we're both still alive. Yes. A group of uh, Amish uh, gentlemen attacked another group of Amish gentlemen and shaved their beards and shaved their hair. I thought that I thought they were men of peace. Well, yeah, they took a piece of their beard and a piece of their hair on whether this was a hate crime. This guy's beard. Majority opinion was no, it wasn't a hate crime. Hello. And there he is. There he is. We were talking about the. Uh, this is Pat Craig. Is back. We uh, we had him on about a month or two ago. And he said, uh, I want to come back when my book comes out. And I said, fine, go find some uh, Amish crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I did, too. I found, a, I found a whole list of really uh, good ones. Some of them I can't even say on the air. Oh, you oh, can. Yes, you can. You can. This is the Internet. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> let us start from well, who are the Amish and how are they different from other religious sects? How do they live? <coughs> So that our audience well, the, has kind of a feel for what we're talking about. Yeah, because we got a lot of people who listen to this program in other countries. Well, the army started in Europe, and they were Anabaptists initially, and they decided that they weren't going to baptize their children when they were infants because they didn't think they had enough uh, cognizance to make a decision like that. So they refused to baptize their children, and that's where the anti-Baptist or Anabaptist name came from. Well, uh, that really ticked the uh, not only the secular authorities off, but the religious authorities too, because as soon as they as you baptize a kid back then, then they go on the tax rolls, mm -hmm. and then the church can tax them, the government can tax them, and so. Everybody starts persecuting these guys, and I mean, they were nasty. They were killing them. They were burning them at the stake. They were doing all kinds of stuff. Not only the secular, <laughs> yeah, how Christian of them. Not only the secular authorities, but the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. All of these guys were were beating on these guys. So, and then a, a guy came along named Menno Simons who gathered up all the Anabaptists and said, look, even though they hit us in the cheek, we got to turn the other cheek. So they adopted this policy of, of uh, nonviolence. And then a couple hundred years later, a guy came along, Jacob Ammon, and he uh, took the whole uh, separate, you know, they, they wanted to separate themselves from the world. And Ammon took it a lot, another step, and he said, anybody that violates our laws, they get shunned, they get tossed out, and you can't have anything to do with them. And so they became the Ammons or the Amish. Ah. And, that's where, and that's where the Amish came from. They're basically an Anabaptist uh, religion that follows what they call uh, the Ordnung. And the Ordnung is a, a passed-down set of oral laws and traditions 
that uh, is what rules their lives. It's somewhat like the law of Moses. Now, um, so uh, my take is they live um, in a more rural, less technical uh, world. Yeah, what, what happened was they, in separating, and, and it wasn't hard back then to be Luddites, in other, in other words, to not have any technical stuff and just have horses and buggies. But then, when uh, in the, in like 1720, they were really getting a lot of stuff going on with them in Europe, and so William Penn came over and said, "Look, if you come to Pennsylvania, you can buy land, you can set up your colonies, and you can have absolute religious freedom, and nobody will bug you." So a whole bunch of them came over uh, to Philadelphia, and then they moved up to Northkill, and then they spread out through. Uh, in the area where Lancaster is now. So there's still a, a huge, uh, you know, community of Amish in those areas in Pennsylvania. Then they moved to Ohio. They're in, they're in Indiana. But um, they, as, as technology increased, they, they kept their old ways. In other words, they wanted to be rural, agrarian, they didn't want cars, they didn't want telephones, they didn't want electricity. They just wanted to be detached from the world because they felt like all that stuff just led to, uh, you know, like a McDonald's kind of life and they didn't want it. It's like uh, I, I actually did uh, uh, get, get the, the domain name Amish Zombies and I was thinking... <laughs> I have I own AmishZombies.com, but I was thinking that would be a little difficult because uh, here comes the Amish zombies, but they can never catch you. Yeah, you know they're riding horses. Because the Amish can use roller skis, can't they? Yeah, they do, and they use scooters and bicycles. But uh, no, well, and it's very interesting. You know what? It's it is a lot like um, a lot of uh, religions where there's a whole bunch of different uh, styles. Like with the Amish, they have the Old Order Amish, which are very, very, very strict in keeping themselves separate from the world. And it goes all the way to the beachy Amish, and they drive cars, and they have telephones, and, you know, so... Well, what, what like do they re- do to, to keep the Amish spirit in their lives? They, they, grow their, they grow their beards after they're married, I guess. Well, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 just try to keep a sense, a real sense of community. Oh, that's good. You know, yeah, yes. Yeah, Charles Manson felt the same way. <laughs> that sense <laughs> of community is important stuff. It all depends on what you're communing with. Yeah. So, uh, bees, they, they took this kind of a. Uh, we always think, at least here in America, we we think of them as being peaceful sorts of people. You know, out raising a barn or uh, polishing some furniture. Uh, we don't think of them attacking each other, but as Mark and I were talking about, waiting for you to call in, he had a situation where this one group of Amish attacked his other group and shaved their beards and cut their hair and yeah. uh, went to the state Supreme Court and they ruled it wasn't a hate crime, although the dissenting judge is the one I kind of agreed with. If it weren't for the fact that they were this other thought process of Amish, they wouldn't have been attacked. You know. Yeah. They. Uh, yeah, that was a very interesting group in Ohio, and they uh, they made late night visits 
to homes where they would uh, forcefully cut off the beards of the men and give the ladies a buzz cut using clippers. Whoa. <laughs> and then the, uh, the perpetrators would then take pictures of the work. Now, this is interesting. The leader of this group was a guy named Sam Mullet. Right. So Mullet? I, yeah. Yeah, yeah Mullet. So, <laughs> so I think that's where the Mullet haircut came from. Ah, well, they they certainly had problems with each other. Yeah, they, they did. They, uh... See, the the problem with the whole Amish thing, and it was very surprising to me. I went to a, a writers' conference several years ago, and that's where I found out that Amish uh, fiction was the largest selling Christian genre, and has been for about twenty five years, ever since Beverly Lewis did her first book. Huh. But the problem is is that all these Amish books are written by non-Amish people who have totally romanticized the Amish lifestyle. So everybody thinks, oh, they're these great Christian people. Oh, they, you know, the, nothing ever bad happens to them. And, and so these English Englishers, is, which is what anybody not Amish is called, write these books where everything comes out perfect just only because they're Amish. Yeah, There's no reason. No rhyme or reason in the universe other than that. Right. And, and the worst thing that happens to these guys is like the buggy falls off the, or the wheel falls off the buggy of the of the Amish bishop's son who looks like Carrie and court the gal who looks like Grace can. The wheel falls off disaster for them. That, that's like, no, no, no. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Amish community that never gets reported in the mainstream media. Well, of course. As it were. Because they're human beings going to their psychopaths. Jankos. <laughs> um, power corrupts and absolute power. Corrupts, absolutely. And if you have a closed system where a person is in charge, use happens. Yeah, and I just book in my new series, and I'm, and I'm working on and I'm using an actual... Uh, story as kind of the the basis of this of the story I'm writing for my for book two and it's about an Amish serial killer them's the best you know. kind wow. they say please yeah. and thank you yeah yeah <laughs> well you know at least it took him a little while to get from crime to crime yeah but, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be his getaway driver yeah right he wasn't well, he yeah. wasn't driving across country you know that was to Pennsylvania yeah. Uh, so this was real. This is based on a true story. There was actually a an Amish serial killer. Yeah, there was a guy named Eli Stutzman, and he grew up. Interestingly enough, he grew up in Apple Creek, Ohio, which is where I set uh, the first three books that I wrote about the Amish. It was in Apple Creek. So this guy grew up there, and one day his barn burned down, and his wife just happened to be in the barn. Oops. Uh, mm -hmm. accidentally, he said that she ran in there to rescue the milking equipment, but, uh, and he said the barn was struck by lightning, but the people who knew him said they believed that he started the fire and shoved his wife in there because he didn't want any more kids. Well, it would have been probably uh, less criminal if he would have had a vasectomy. They're not allowed. I, I guess, uh... 
And so then he he disappeared from Apple Creek, and he started traveling. And he had uh, a son named Danny uh, that he would leave with family and, and members. And he went to Texas, and then he after he left Texas, the body of a guy was found in a ditch with multiple gunshots, and it found out that his roommate was this guy, Eli Stutzman. Ooh. But he had disappeared. And then he goes to Wyoming and drops his son off again, and then he didn't come back for six months, and when he did, he said he was going to Apple Creek. Anyway, and then the, then the boy disappeared, and then... A, a young boy was found in Nebraska with no identity, but uh, when they put his picture in the paper, a relative identified this, the child as being his little boy. And then at the same time, two more guys were found dead that were associates of this guy. Anyway, he finally just, as when they, when they were running him down, he finally killed himself. That was a good, good move on his part. I think so. He avoided the death penalty. Yeah. Wow. You don't usually think of of all my serial killers. No. And and then I was reading a a list of uh, 10 bizarre Amish arrests and mishaps. Mm. Uh, And like like a heavily intoxicated... 21-year-old Amish man who blew through a stop sign after chugging 10 beers. He's in his buggy and uh, believing, and the, and the deputy who saw him running or going through the stop sign thought he was witnessing a runaway horse. So he pulled the, <laughs> he pulled the, uh, the buggy over and the, Kid failed the sobriety test, and so he ended up going for a 19th century ride in the backseat of a patrol car. <coughs> uh, is it okay anyway, for the to get drunk? Well, usually they don't, <coughs> but um, they do have a period uh, called Rumspringa where... Um, they basically say to the teenager, okay, go do what you want and experiment with the world. And th- so the kids go out and they drink and they, and they run around and they, and they go to dances and they listen to music and do all that stuff and, and have sex, I guess, and all that, that mm-hmm. stuff. Good idea. And, and then at the end of that time, they decide whether they're going to keep doing that or Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or go, leave the church or go back. And the interesting thing is, is that 97% of them go back. Of course. Yeah. Because they're scared not to. <laughs> I bet the world uh, terrifies them, having not been yeah, part of it. I, I would think so. But, you know, I was in uh, Shipshawana, Indiana, two years ago, and for... Uh, a conference for Amish uh, authors and Amish readers. We all got together in a hotel in in Chipchewana, which is a very, very big Amish town. And I was talking to some people there, and they said that drugs and alcohol are very, very, very uh, prevalent in the Amish 
among Amish youth. Hmm. There, there's a, there's a, just a tremendous amount. And she said she was a, a Mennonite, and she just said it's really sad to see that they've just kind of gotten overwhelmed by the world and by the stuff that's going on. <clears throat> so, I mean, like hard drug use, someone has to get those drugs in there to them. Yeah. Just like that. hard drugs. There was a documentary made by uh, Phil Lucas, uh, may he rest in peace, good friend of mine, but uh, an Indian tribe in Alaska that had a 100% alcoholism rate. Mom, dad, the kids, everybody. Yeah. And the booze was being provided by the local Catholic priest. Finally, one <laughs> family, one family yeah. decided they were going to get sober. And they did. And then they got another family and another. And eventually, the majority of the tribe was sober, wasn't doing alcohol anymore. Right. The fascinating documentary, the coolest part, and I, I saw the people who were in the documentary about 20, 30 years later when the movie kind of had a second life and they were showing it again, is a father and son, both drunk during the alcoholism phase, right. had a huge fight, like a physical fist fight. Doing the documentary, they had to replay that scene, portraying themselves having a fight drunk. <laughs> to talk about a cathartic experience, man. I mean, yeah. They had to relive it and try to act Sober. like they did when they were drunk for the movie. Yeah. It was all and, the real people, you know, no actors. Yeah. Right. But it's, well, that, yeah. it comes down to the thing of the, the transformation of the individual society by the application of spiritual principles or the reverse of that. Yep. Transformation and degradation of the individual or the community by the absence of spiritual principles. Correct. Absolutely correct. Is yep. there is there an issue with the inter the community itself and its own policing and secular policing? One more time, Matt. Get closer and louder. Is there uh, is there any issues or any problems that arise? from the community's own policing versus the secular policing outside the community? Not really, because they're pretty private. They're very private. And usually stuff doesn't go outside the community. They, they will take it and they will deal with it. And whatever is going on, uh, usually, uh, up 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 to a certain point, uh, they will try to get them to stop doing that. If they don't, then they they do what they shun them or they put them under the ban. Which means that if you're like a, a teenager, if you're living in a in your home with your parents, they you have to sit at a separate table. They can't talk to you. Uh, you can you can work, but nobody can give you stuff or give you advice or counsel. You're just you're like a not persona non grata. You're just you don't exist. Well, that doesn't sound and, very healing to me. Well, uh, it seems to just the threat of it of being put under the ban is enough to make a lot of people repent. Uh, you know, but as far as calling in. Outside authority. See, 
I have a good friend. His name's Jerry Eicher, and he grew up Amish. And he's no he's no longer in the Amish church, but he writes about the dark side of the Amish life. And and one of the big things that goes on that doesn't get out of the community is um, incest and sexual abuse. Right. The same thing families. with the Orthodox. Yep. In families. And so uh, he wrote a wonderful book called When Hearts Break that tells the story of a family that's involved in that. And uh, they don't, you know, and, and a lot of times, well, it's just it's just like out in the world, I guess. A, a little girl will go to her mother and say, "Daddy's doing this," and she'll say, "You're a liar." Oh boy! You know, be, she defends the husband, and and then so the little girl is, or if they believe her, they they make her feel like it was her fault that she enticed the father or something, and so. There's a lot of that that goes on in the Amish community, too. I hate to say it because I don't want to pop anybody's bubble uh, so they won't go down to Walmart and buy some of those books anymore. <laughs> the, the happy quilt that was used for incest. Yeah. That's right. Um, under the quilt. Under All right. the quilt. <laughs> God, we're really sick. Well... Uh, what other great crimes know, do you have there besides the adventures in Amish incest? Well, here's one. Uh, a, a gal, a, an Amish gal is returning from a Christmas party, and uh, out of the sky comes a, a single fifty caliber bullet and hits her in the head and kills her in her buggy. Yipes. And, and so the... The buggy, or of course the horse knows the way home, so he just goes home. And uh, the brother, later that evening, the brother sees the the girl's buggy going in a circle out in the pasture. And he goes out and he finds his sister, and she is dying, and she's gone. And then they checked it out, and they found this fifty caliber bullet in her skull. Well, it turns out, that another Amish kid was returning from a hunting trip, and he just for a lark, he fired a single round from his rifle in, into the air. The wow. bullet traveled more than a mile and came down in her head. Well, that'll give you a migraine. Yeah. I know. So was he prosecuted for uh, involuntary manslaughter or? Well, they charged him with felony reckless homicide. Yeah, but same idea. But yeah. the girl, the girl's family opposed the charges. You know, given the circumstances, they felt it just wasn't right to proceed with a felony charge. So, the 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 court let the young man plead guilty to a misdemeanor count of negligent homicide. And he was sentenced to 180 days in jail. Well, that makes and sense. Then, he didn't intentionally shoot her. Shoot yeah, him. he didn't do it, you know. And then oh, another big deal in the Amish community is the puppy mills. Oh, they have I those. Don't know. Yeah. The, the, and the Amish are really big. You'll, you'll go to... Uh, 
And Lancaster County is referred to as the puppy mill capital of the United States. Pennsylvania, and correct? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, because we have and a Lancaster go, out here in California. Yeah, you'll go. You'll find. You'll go to a Amish farm, and you'll find hundreds of dogs crammed into these little crates stacked on top of each other, and these barns and sheds are owned by the Amish. And they just breed these dogs and sell them. And so, you know, they're produced in an, the puppies are produced like an assembly line and then sold to pet stores or auctions. And they're, in Lancaster, alone, Lancaster County alone, there's probably 600 of those facilities currently in wow. operation. That's a hell of a lot. Dog yeah. on it. I mean, think, yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, That's a lot of puppies. But, uh, yep. What's the crime here? What's the crime? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a license. it's just, yeah, they're unlicensed, for okay. one thing. Uh, okay. And uh, they're not neutered or spayed either. No. It would be poor business decision if they were. Uh do they have any more extreme crimes than puppy mills and accidental? Well, uh, yeah, back in the late 90s, a fellow named uh, Edward Gingrich walked into the office of his chiropractor complaining of a headache. He was given a scalp massage, instructed to drink molasses, and then sent on his way back to his farm where he beat his wife to death. Whoa. Was it molasses to the blame? Yeah, I don't know, but he he beat his wife to death and then cut out her intestines. Oh, hmm. so their five-year-old witnessed this playing and fled the farm and ran to his uncle Daniel's house. And by the time Daniel arrived on horseback, he found his brother in the kitchen sitting on his wife's naked corpse. Okay. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Yeah. Do you have any so, explanation for this? Like, my head doesn't hurt anymore? Yeah, no, he said I, I was possessed by the devil. Yeah, I tried that one once. didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I, I told that to the tax guy when I didn't pay my taxes. Right. <laughs> devil doesn't, don't pay no taxes. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so he was uh, ruled insane. And uh, he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, becoming the first Amish person tried and sentenced for criminal homicide. Wow. Huh. They didn't get him for desecrating a corpse because he took a kishkas out? I don't know if they did that. <laughs> but then he still was crazy. He moved around from state to state, and in, and in uh, the late... Uh, Oh, about 10 years ago, he hung himself in a barn. Good. Um, yeah. That's good news. We don't want people running around to do that stuff. What was that guy's name? Israel Keys? You heard of him, Pat? This no, guy, I haven't. You're lucky. This guy would travel to different places in America and Canada, and he would stash a kill kit, say, like, under a tree in a park somewhere, you know, on the total other side of the country. And then, say, five years later, he'd take an airplane trip 
to that town, go dig up the kill kit, murder somebody, bury the kid again, get on the plane, and fly home. And he never went to the same city twice. He'd go like maybe Arizona, uh, Maryland, you know, killing people with no apparent connection between any of them. Interesting. They finally got him, though. I think it was the frequent flyer miles that did him in. Yeah, I think there's a, a uh, an Agatha Christie story called the ABC Murders, where the murderer kills three three people. Two of them are random. One of them is the person that the murderer wants to kill, but he kills the other two to make it look like he's a serial killer just doing random killing. Gotcha. Right. They catch him so in the maybe book. Th- What's that? Did they catch this guy? Yes, in the, in the last five pages, information that was yeah, withheld. From right. Her. Oh, no, they, she doesn't do that withholding information, does she? Yes. Oh, I, That's she, cheating. She's no I story. was told you can't write a mystery where you withhold information oh, from Sherlock the reader. Oh, Sherlock Holmes did it all the time. But that's not fair. No, it isn't, so I hated it. No, no, the reader's supposed the to be able to figure it out. And usually, and, uh, it's all at the very beginning of the book. Everything you need to know to solve the crime is in the first two pages. In, in one of uh, the uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, novels, uh, there's uh, a horrible murder, and Rasheen is written on the wall in blood, and that's re- revenge in French. Revenge. Yeah. And he goes through this entire That's the study in Scarlet. Yeah, he's figuring out what happened, right? And then in the end, yeah, well, there's this whole section where he describes Mormons and how uh, this man, this uh, man didn't want his 13-year-old daughter given away as a bride, and he tries to escape, and she dies from uh, despair. Well, that's a common right. ailment. And he's, he hunts down the leader of that Mormon group, to Europe. Years later. Years, years later, later to kill him. But there's no way a reader would, would be able to figure, know or figure all that out because he just reveals it at the end of the story and what happened. Yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. And you look at that and I'm going, and that, you know, that was the end of that crap. But the thing is, is, is you know, Pat, because you write books, and we know how these things are structured. Uh, a movie came huh? on starring, uh, what's her name with the nice tuchus, uh and, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Jennifer Lopez? No, no, no. Uh, anyway. she, has a, she has a cute toy. Anyway, uh, the opening credits come on, right? I'm <clears throat> looking at the artwork and the opening credits, and I turned to the person next to me and said, Samuel L. Jackson did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you what? <you> want- <clears throat> I could tell there was everything I needed to know to solve the mystery that hadn't been presented yet. All right, was that... Uh- was that Ashley Judd? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Ashley Judd, yeah. Yeah, Ashley yeah, Judd but... and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, all and... that one during the opening <laughs> credits. Well, if you watch, like, Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. You know, you watch the credits roll, and you go, okay, who are the guest stars? It's got to be one of the guest stars. Well, of course. And I'd always get the right answer, and my family would go, how the hell did you know? <laughs> but the best one of all is Gone But Not Forgotten. They did make a TV movie out of it. Starring uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. And they changed all the females in the book to males, all the males to females, which made sense for the, the, the TV movie. 
you didn't have any trouble solving who the murderer was, but that wasn't the mystery. And it was so clever. It's one of the best mystery books I ever read in my life. And the guy never wrote another one that good again. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. in the, I'm in the, the Alfred Hitchcock camp in this instance. Um, he, was, he was noted in an interview saying, you can have a serene uh, portion punctuated by extreme violence, a bomb going off, people dying. But the excitement lasts for just a moment. Right. But if you watch the perpetrator plant the bomb, and then you spend a half an hour watching the heroes trying to find and disarm the bomb. You have a whole movie of excitement. That's right. His, his penultimate film, um, Frenzy, uh, he did uh, right. Family Plot, which I thought sucked. Yeah. Uh, he did Frenzy. And you, are wa- you, you meet the killer up front as he commits a murder. And then he figures out how to frame just some random person in the neighborhood that he sees a right, lot. Right, <clears throat> right. And, there, and there's, right. there's a scene where he kills another woman. He was the necktie murderer. Necktie murderer, yeah. And he recognizes that he has misplaced a piece of jewelry. The tie tag, yeah. And he go, and then you watch without any dialogue for at least 20 minutes as he desperately tries to figure out where that piece of jewelry went. And then he figures out it's in the potato truck. He catches up with it, and you're watching him go through bag after bag Bag after after bag bag of potatoes, trying to find that tie pin. And it it is just brilliant to watch, because you're on the edge of your seat with him. Yeah, and he's the bad guy. And he's the bad guy. That's one of yeah, the right. hardest it's, things to do. Same uh, thing in Strangers on a Train. Yeah, well, the, it's really difficult yeah. to make the bad guy uh, a hero someone you root for. Yeah, the, you, when the uh, stranger, when the bad guy is stranger on the train, <clears throat> what does he drop something in the mud puddle? I can't remember what the deal was. But mm-hmm. you you start rooting for him to be able to get away with it. You go, wait a second, I'm rooting right. for the wrong guy. <laughs> and I, love the, I love the ending of... Uh, uh, frenzy, uh, where the where the escape the the framed individual has escaped, figures out who the real criminal is, and the police catch up with him in the bedroom with the latest victim, and he's standing there looking at her, and he's going, "Well, I'm I'm effed," and here comes the perpetrator with the steamer trunk to put the body in. <laughs> And that was the how the movie. It was just—it's just really yeah. well done, and I happen to enjoy knowing what's going on, so I can enjoy the journey. Um, well, you know, uh, last night I was watching uh, a Poirot uh, uh, movie, and uh, which one? It was okay. the one where he goes into night. a safe deposit box and gets out a journal. And begins reading this journal that was written by the killer. And so all the way through this episode, you're going back to the journal and getting excerpts that Poirot is reading. And then you're dealing with the, all the characters that, that the murderer is writing about in the book. And so at the end, a person finds that journal in the guy's car 
and then as the as this person reads the journal, they realize who the killer is because it's in this guy's car. And so it's very, very well done. Very well done. Miss that one. Do you gentlemen remember the usual suspects? Yes. Gabriel Byrne. And yeah. uh um Kevin Spacey Kevin Spacey is verbal. Just, yeah. The <clears throat> I figured out early what was going on. There's a scene where they're robbing a armored car and Spacey shoots with the gun sideways. Uh, sideways. And at the end you see him kill Gabriel Byrne, you see Kaiser Sose shooting him sideways. They tipped it off. But that scene with with um, Chaz Palmolteri and uh, Kevin Spacey, as Kevin is making right. up the entire story by looking at the board and stuff yeah. behind him. Yeah. The Kobayashi Maru is the name of the China. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was a barbershop quartet. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great bit. And and it's a really great piece when he leaves the police station. Right. Oh, yeah. And you watch and him goes walking, walking down limping, the street and down loses the street. his limp. Yep. And loses the limp. And then you hear the voiceover, and poof, poof it's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's and great. And suddenly you realize this is the guy. <clears throat> yeah. And it won best screenplay Academy Award. <clears throat> yep. And deserved it too. Yeah, it was very well written because you never knew who you were looking at. Yeah, in that um, movie. I mean, well, yeah, because basically thinking, all you all the movie you saw was completely fabricated, right? Made up, and the and the reenactments that you see as he's talking to Palminteri, they're all nonsense. They're all, all, it's all made up. Um, I'm not necessarily into torture porn. Not like I used to, no. No, I mean, I'm, but um, there really was. You've got a great collection. It's too bad you're not into it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't a term at the time when the first saw came out. I can't stand those. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a fan of them. Uh, but the entire premise is basically a two-person play where you have the, the two characters that are trapped trying to figure out how to escape. Right, and that's the that's the that's essentially the whole story. Uh, to escape, they have to injure themselves. One character has to remove a hand or a foot, and you know through this, you know. And you watch this thing. There's a dead body on the floor, and they're in this they're in this disgusting, filthy bathroom, chained up, and they figure out how to escape by doing these horrible things to their bodies to escape. And they escape, and they disappear, but the camera stays into the bathroom. It doesn't follow the two people out. And the dead body gets up and walks away. Oh, I like that. And that was a, whoa! <laughs> the person in who was perpetrating this was lying there motionless through the entire thing. Yeah, I know some people have extra money for that. <laughs> Well, that's an entirely different <laughs> genre of uh, entertainment yeah. there, Burl. Yeah. Well, yeah. <clears throat> that's my, one of my few appearances in show business. <laughs> I, I think that's why um, Columbo was so popular. Well, I got one, 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 one more question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing that was great about Columbo was that you knew from the beginning of the episode that the guest star was the criminal. 
and and you see what happens. The fun right. is, is in Columbo figuring out what happened and how to catch them. Right. Right. Yeah, he's, he was very exactly. seldom wrong. That's one thing I liked about uh, Law and Order is sometimes there wasn't always Law and Order. No. Yeah. That was a breakthrough. Yeah, that was an interesting show. But uh, remember, we we had a chat about this in one of our episodes. What was that? That the entire production of the Law and Order Empire is specifically geared to showcase the the positive side of our justice and law enforcement system. And yet, it's the only show I've seen where people are found not guilty when you knew they did it. <laughs> <laughs> But they, it is not, you know, let's slam the police, let's slam the lawyers. Everyone is honorable. Yeah, even the people who aren't. Yeah, it, that like particular show, that. There, there's no, uh, there's no uh, black police, or, I mean, uh, black-hearted policemen. They're all, the whole team is great. Right, Every, and they all have the, know, they're all out for justice and, you know, that kind of stuff. And speaking of wow. justice... That big old clock on the wall says that, that, was, that we're not allowed to have electric clocks. <laughs> so, uh, get it. Yeah, you gotta come out of your doggy pad. Hey, Burrow. Yeah. What's next? Magic Ben Allen with the Defensive Decaders live from the Lightning Lounge on OurRadioLive.com.